it's a battle of two juggernauts. First place versus first place. The San Francisco Giants come to Wisconsin, Milwaukee to take on your first place Brewers. What are we thinking of this series? Brewers own the NL West, Rowdy. They own the NL West. Yeah, they do own the NL West. And obviously, the Brewers have two out of their three top starters going in this series. So if you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan, you you got to hope that you can hopefully take two out of three, but uh, we'll have to dig more into that to see exactly how those matchups line up. No doubt about it. Uh, what's it? Corbin Burns uh, versus Webb. What, what's his first name? I think it's Logan. Logan Webb on the mound. As the where the where the hell I know I've asked you this a few times, Rowdy, but where in the hell did the Giants come from? Where, what was their over under when the season opened up? Like seventy, right something? around seventy five. Where what happened? Them Can, and the believe it or not, them and the Diamondbacks were within one game of each other for win totals going into the really? season. Obviously, one team is the best team in baseball; the other is the worst. <laughs> they were so Vegas had them uh, the the Giants one win better. You said than the Diamondbacks for over under win total. Yeah, I believe the the Giants were seventy five and the Diamondbacks were seventy four. Well, if you had the over of the Giants win total, they are sit right now sixty nine, nice and forty, best record in the majors. But your Milwaukee Brewers not too far behind. Last night off, obviously, for the Brew Crew. They sit at 65-44 and 44 as, again, NL West, NL Central, the battle of the, the, the teams on top tonight at American Family Field. What is So give us a lowdown quick of the Giants, Rowdy. Like, didn't they have a lot of like aging veterans and a bunch of like unproven guys? Like, what, How'd the Giants get here? Yeah, it, it's basically what it is. They've had a ton of guys that are having career years, kind of like some of the Brewers. Yeah. And they had a lot of guys that had turned back the clock type seasons. I mean, look at Buster Posey. We know how good Buster Posey was like closer to five, seven years ago. Yes, that's that's a name from a while back. Yeah, but now he's all of a sudden one of the better catchers in the NL again. Or if you're looking at other players, I know he's been injured, but uh, Longoria, he was a stud for the Tampa Bay Rays. Evan? Like a, yeah, like a decade ago. Evan Longoria? He was having to turn back the clock season before he got injured. Um, Brandon Crawford, he was a big time all-star again, probably like seven years ago. He's having a huge season for a short stop. It's a a lot, it's a lot of those, or it's, or it's guys you've never even heard of. It's guys that are having decent seasons that you're like, who the hell is this? Something in the water over there for the giants. Jeez. Uh, giants. Yeah. Same thing with a lot of their pitching staff. I mean, just the other night when we bet on the, the giants, we were talking about Anthony DeScalfani. He was a guy that was at the end of the Reds rotation, and when we all know that the Reds haven't had great pitching in a while. Uh, when you look at Kevin Gossman, he was a guy that was like thir- a number three at best for the Braves just a few years ago. Yeah, He's one of the best pitchers in the NL this year. It's crazy, isn't it? We're the upstart Giants out of nowhere. We thought uh, it would be you know the Dodgers <laughs> or the Padres running at away. At one point, thing. their closer, Jake McGee, he was leading the really major leagues in saves. It's really to Max McGee. I don't think so, Damn. but but he saves games, <laughs> and he was a guy that was coming out of the Rockies bullpen. We all know that the Rockies bullpen's not very good. Ooh. They thought that that was kind of closer to the end of his career, and he needed a bounce back here. Again, he was leading the major leagues in saves, and he's right up there for the league leader. What's going? On? We have to test these guys for PEDs or something. Remember when we were talking about this, like in the first two months of the season, and I was I was telling you, it's like, well, we know that the Padres are a good team. We know that the Dodgers are a good team because yeah. they're good on paper and they're playing well. Yep. The Giants are like the team that didn't fit. But and that was like the, that was the team in the West that you would figure, looking at their roster, looking at the statistics, would ha- be the team that would be the one to fall off if there was going to be a team that fall, fell off. Yeah. Well, well, they ain't falling off. They haven't fallen off, and obviously they're the best team in baseball. And now you're just looking at the East and saying, which crappy team's going to come out of the East? Because the Mets, yeah, the Mets are, are in a tailspin. Too. Yeah, the Mets are 3-7 and seven their last 10. I thought going into the season that the Braves were by far the best team in that division. I mean, they're cl- it's close. I mean, their best player is hurt. Look at that whole look at the whole NL East, though. It's crazy. Uh, the Mets and Phillies are both 56 wins. Uh, the Mets are on top because they have one less loss, fifty-six and fifty-two to the Phillies, fifty-six and fifty-three. The Braves are fifty-five and fifty-four. The Nationals, I mean, they're seven and a half games back, but they're forty-nine and sixty. And then the Fish are nine and a half games back at forty-seven and sixty-two. It's kind of a tight division, Rowdy. Well, it, kind of it is. Well, that, the biggest thing for the East is the Braves. 
I like I said, I think they're the most talented team. Mets well, lost last night, right? Yes. Yeah. Ronald Acuna goes down with a knee injury. He's done for the year. Mm. They made a ton of trades and actually got back some really good value. They've be, actually been playing pretty good baseball after that Acuna injury until they played the Brewers. You look at the Phillies. I mean, they get a lot of play on these airs for one reason. And ben. They're not great, but Whatever they spend ben a lot is. of money. And then you look at the Mets, who, how long have we heard about the Mets and their pitching for like the last, I don't know, six years about how good all their pitching is? And then Every it never year. stays healthy. The Mets are always going to be the Mets, right? Like DeGrom was the runaway Cy Young favorite and was like right in there for a contender to be an actual MVP as a pitcher. He's and hurt. now he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, he's hurt. Bow. Rowdy? I still think the Braves win that division. Really? Look at that. Did you Do you get a little bet on that? I don't. Rowdy says Braves. Uh, Braves are right there, one and a half games back. I mean, it's that's that's a jumbled up, you know, division right there. Uh, Brewers though, still seven games above the Reds for first place in NL Central, and then obviously what we were just talking about, the Giants reign supreme right now of the NL West. That's a that's a pretty tight division too, though, obviously. But the Giants just keep crushing. The Giants are last night they made like history. Chris Bryant and the Giants pulled off the biggest ninth inning comeback since 1993 uh, in their win. So, you know, you got some. Let's see, Bryant led off the ninth and the tenth with doubles as San Fran overcame a four nothing deficit. So they got to get on a plane. They got to come to Milwaukee, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Brewers, though, Rowdy, they own the N- Brewers own the NL West. Like the Brewers are dominant over the NL West and always play up to their competition. Yeah, so they they play every single team in the NL West this season seven times. And when you look at the top teams, they have not played the Giants yet this year. This is the first series with the Giants. They have three at home with the Giants. Then they go four on the road in San Francisco at the end of August. So they'll get all their games in with the Giants here this month. But you look, they've already played every single game this season against the Padres. They're 5-2. and two. You look and they've played four out of their seven games against the Dodgers already. And they're 3-1. and one. Yeah. And then when you continue to look at the teams that they've played out of the West, obviously the Rockies aren't very good. Obviously we know that the Arizona Diamondbacks are not very good, right? <laughs> no. So, I mean, in the first seven games, the, the Brewers are 6-1 and one against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That one, lo- that one loss. They have one loss, out. and you know why that one loss is frustrating. Yeah, because it's <laughs> because the Diamondbacks run 17 games lost in a row, and the freaking Brewers <laughs> on the road win. on the road, unbelievable, dude. And they they found a way to get that one win, but okay, hey, whatever, whatever. Six, six and one. Then you look at the Rockies, who are also a bad team, a little better than Arizona though, and the Milwaukee Brewers are five and two against them. Brewers, I gotta. Go. <laughs> okay, what's your gut feeling? What's your feeling? What's your gut say with the, the NL West and how the Brewers own all those teams? What's your gut feeling uh, right away at six thirteen in the morning, Rowdy? Well, I said this before, and I saw more knobs on Twitter last night. <laughs> There's so many knobs on Twitter. Major League Baseball chatter talking about how uh, people are going back and forth about if the Brewers were real and if the NL West should be looking out for the Brewers, not the Brewers oh, looking out for the I, NL West. That's a topic today, by the way. And one of the things that, the same thing. that bugged me was there. Uh, it was a you know, couple it was guys. An, it was an unhinged Chicago Cubs fan, I think, that you were talking about. Was it that guy? I don't I don't know. I don't remember. There was multiple tweets. I didn't follow Un- any of them. They just popped up into my timeline. Unhinged Chicago Cubs fan. But basically it was saying that there's no chance that the Brewers can get past all three of the NL West teams because all of them on paper or statistically are better than the Brewers, even though that's not one that's not true. Because if you look at them uh, in the box score, the Brewers are actually the second best team out of those four, only worse than the Giants. But on paper, you could argue they're probably the third best team behind the Padres and and the Dodgers. But for some reason, the on paper and in reality, the Giants are still the best team in baseball. Yeah. So that's a little confusing. But I think the other thing is, which, um, again, why this guy's a knob. Big knob. Is Cubs fan. The Milwaukee Brewers at this point on how the playoffs are going to align are only going to have to go through one of the NL West teams to make it to the World Series because the other two will be knocked out by the one. Yeah. Because if this guy's all, an idiot on Twitter. If it all plays Let's out Twitter. the way it's supposed to and everything stays the same, which don't rule out Cincinnati yet, they continue to stay hot. Yeah, they keep they keep freaking winning. 
Reds lose. The Brewers will play the NL East in the first round of the playoffs in the NLDS. And you think that might be the Braves? Regardless of who it is, they're better than them, and they're clearly yep. better than like them. Like the chances. And, and they should win that series. You look at the NL West, if they do get, indeed, the two wild cards, those two wild cards will play. And then one's got to One lose. of them has to lose, and then the team that wins has to go and play the team that won the NL West, in which one of those teams will advance. So out of those three, only one can get to the NLCS, where the Brewers just have to beat the team from the East. So the person you're referring to, uh, or some of these tweets, Rowdy, I did look at the person's Twitter account. I'm not kidding with you. They are an unhinged Cub fan, and they're also friends with Ben Kenny, uh, the <coughs> Our co-worker and also producer of the Bill Michaels show. I, I even I texted Ben. I'm like, who is this guy? Because I saw they follow each other. And he's like, oh, he's a buddy of mine, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, is this guy like an unrealistic, unhinged, douchey Cubs fan? And Ben said, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Rowdy, I know I was going to bring that up as a topic today. We're going to have to like. Lay I just can't believe the all people the, that think this. I just can't believe all the Brewers' success against the NL West. It's awesome. How, how you're six and one against Arizona. Five and two against San Diego, five and two against Colorado, and three and one against the Dodgers. You literally only have one more series against the Dodgers, which is three games. You win just one of them, you won the season series against them. And you start the seven game season series with the Giants tonight. Yep. And you got Man. Corbin Burns Corbin Burns kicking things off for the Milwaukee Brewers tonight at American Family. Nineteen Field. and six against the NL West this year. That's incredible. And look at all look it's at all the best division and it's, it's the arguably best. the best division in baseball. It's either that or it's the AL East. Yeah, and look how look how the Brewers are just reigning supreme right there over the NL West. And again, I guess the Reds, Rowdy, what were playing the Pirates last night. So the Reds will not lose a game though. The Brewers the Brewers are having a hard time, like the Brewers keep winning, obviously, but sort of the freaking Reds. Lose a freaking game, Reds. All right, Rowdy, we also have another interesting topic. Well, the Reds have been going through a lot of the easier part of their schedule. If you look at the Cincinnati Reds coming up here, it's Pirates I, and I think their schedule toughens up. I know they only have three more or three more games with the Brewers and it's in late August. But I do know that they have Atlanta coming up, Philly still in the hunt, so they'll be competitive, and then in September they have the Dodgers, the White Sox, and Okay, some so uh, some division him. rivalry games with the Cardinals and Cubs. All right, good. I just put the Twitter poll up at Zone Madison. It should be a sure to turn some heads. Rowdy had this little brainchild a couple days ago in the office as we were talking about all the uh, the people for the Brewers falling on the COVID list. Anyone and their their brother were on that thing. Well, Christian Yelich is Rowdy. Here we go. Christian Yelich is expected back. The question is, what would you do with him? Three options. Start him, sit him, or a minor league rehab stint. That's what you can get your vote on at Zone Madison on Twitter. You can phone it in as well as 608-321-1670. What a doozy, Rowdy. What a doozy indeed. What do you think? What's What's your gut say in this Twitter poll? We have the smartest listeners, obviously. Well, I think it'll be stardom. Yeah? it's It's the name power. Big name. And that big contract coming in. Yeah, starting next year. So, people definitely get caught up in the name. Christian Yelich this season, though, oof. oh, oh, his war is one. So for twenty twenty one, one. Which well, obviously he's he's, he's, he's still worth a win. he's still getting on base. I mean, he has still come up with some big hits, but at the same time, he hasn't been Christian Yelich. The defense has continually gotten worse, and when you have a guy that you just paid over $260 million for the next decade, I think you're going to expect a little bit more than just that one war. War, what is it good for? Well, for Christian Yelich this season, I don't know, absolutely And nothing. I think you can easily say by watching Christian Yelich, he's not even close to borderline all-star. No. we Speaking of an all-star, we say good morning to RJ. Woo! <laughs> Woo! RJ, stardom, sit-em, rehab stint. What do you do? Pop quiz, hot shot. Are you allowed to go on a rehab stint after? I would imagine because yeah. you're you're put on the IL, but it's the COVID IL. I mean, you don't think the Brewers could say, "Oh, his lungs feel a bit scratchy." <laughs> well, that, I, I'm I'm saying send him to the minors, get some swings in. 
Because I think that's what we're doing with, uh, with Keston Hero when he comes back. I was kind of reading. Like, he was on the well, COVID he was, list. He was going there anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, he, he was still on the active not, roster. He won't be back. Got the Rona or contact tracing or something. Keston Hero was on his way to, to Nashville, but I think this is obviously him popping up and having COVID. That probably just gives the Brewers another you know, week and a half of saying, well, we don't actually have to make this decision yet, but <laughs> we all know where you're, you're heading. It's like, yeah, we don't really don't like this little uh, COVID outbreak we have going on, but actually the timing is okay for a lot of these moves that we wanted to make. Right, Rowdy? The timing for the Rona has kind of been working out. Well, especially... I don't want to say it like this, but in the Brewers' favor to a degree. Especially a couple of them. Obviously, the bullpen stuff, that's not ideal. That's That's definitely not something that was potentially planned or could have been used as a plan. Yeah. Cuz that just stinks. But yes, the uh Christian Yelich, Jace Peterson, those ones a little mysterious on exactly how how it timed out. Oh yeah, and Keston Hira. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that guy. The timing. So, here's the thing, looking at Christian Yelich and uh looking at the Twitter poll, stardom, sit him, minor league rehab assignment, right? So, looking at the numbers for Christian Yelich, Rowdy, this year for Yelly is um <laughs> A lot less to be desired, right? He's batting 235. His on-base percentage is 382. He's slugging 367. His OPS is 748. I just, I mean, what's the takeaway so far? Have we seen, we've seen flashes from Yelly this year, right? Yeah. Flashes. That, that's why I'm with RJ. I would vote for the the minor, le- have, the minor league rehab stint where you give him a couple of weeks down in the minor leagues, give him some at-bats, see a little bit uh lesser of the pitching and see if it can't spark something. Man. I mean, you said it. The on-base percentage isn't bad. The on-base percentage is the third best in his career, only behind his MVP year and the year where he was on his way to win the MVP before the uh, fractured kneecap. But the slugging is the one that you brought up where his slugging is the worst in his career. Oh, For yeah. any season he's ever played from age 21 till now, it's by far the worst in his career. Yeah, that that, that's good. not a good thing. Obviously, good. we talked about how last year he looked pretty bad in the box, but he had a a decent, you know, a decent productive season, so the slugging was still somewhat there. But yeah, it's even worse than it was in 2020 when it comes to slugging. But on the same side, he's hitting a little bit better than 2020. It's just such a weird situation. But he is getting on base. Because if you if you look at how Christian Yelich, if you put 2020 and you put 2021 together, since you know he's got about 250 swings in 2020 and 275 swings in 2021, that's just a little bit short of the normal season. Because normally you would hope that uh, a starter like Christian Yelich would get about 600 at bats uh, a year. Yeah. That's almost a full season, yet that pace for him would be 18 home runs, 50 RBIs, and on-base percentage somewhere around 370, a slugging percentage just south of 400, a batting average right around 230. Oh, hey, breaking news. That just doesn't cut it. Christian Yelich is ready to uh, come back. The question is, though, with Yelly and his performance this season, what will you do with him? Would you start him? Would you sit him? Or would you send him to the minor leagues for a rehab assignment? Uh, RJ and Nelly, you guys are both in this agreement, and that would be the Miners. I'd just give them a couple more weeks. I mean, the we talked about how the Brewers are playing good baseball. Christian Yelich maybe just an extended breath that he's going to get and see some lesser pitching where he can get some confidence and maybe uh, get some fluidness back to the batting. I think this. I think... I'm leaning to vote start him. Chad came in um, around 6.45. He called in, and Chad's like, I think Yelly's one of those guys that he just needs to hit through it. He just needs to get through it. And I kind of agree with Chad on that one. Christian Yelich should have won another MVP, right? Then he shattered his kneecap, and it was Cody Bellinger, right, Rowdy, that ended up winning the MVP? Yeah, who, Despite by the having way, a bad did month. not have a great September that year. So if if <laughs> it was a war of attrition and and basically Bellinger didn't fracture his kneecap. Yes. So I'm thinking what I'm thinking is I think we should be starting Christian Yelich. I think he is a little gun shy still, and I don't want to have it. It sounds bad for an out, like it's not a cop out, but maybe he's still a little gun shy over that kneecap exploding, which was like one of the freakiest of freak injuries. 
You get Christian Yelich up there. His on-base percentage is still good. What did you say, right? Second best of his career right now? Third best. Third best Outside is on-base percentage. The MVP and then the runner-up. So here. I'm thinking, why don't since he still can get on base, if you ever seen Moneyball, why do we want him, RJ? Because he can? Get on base. Christian Yelich can get on base. <laughs> Let the man swing through it. I know he looks lost up there half the time. The other time he looks pretty good. Maybe you just get him more you know, live ammo up there. Cat still gets on base, and Yelly can find the... Uh, the old Yelly of old. See, I'm like I normally I'm a huge guy about hey your best player you got to keep him in there even when he's struggling. But on this one, I think we've seen this now from Christian Yelich for for I guess two seasons, but together it's really one full season. Yeah, and he st- he still looks like that same hitter that's just a little off. And, and we we kind of mentioned in the Chad call, it's not like he's completely lost like Keston Hira. It, it's, just, it's just like there, there's something off where it's just not quite clicking. Yeah. Where if all of a sudden it starts clicking, he can be that Christian Yelich. He can be that guy that uh, potentially can win an MVP again. But all you really need from Christian Yelich right now to end this season, honestly, is a borderline all-star Christian Yelich to fit into this lineup. I feel like we're not asking for much, Rowdy. I mean, he's getting paid like it, especially next year starting. Well, I think another thing that's not being discussed when – talking about what you do with Christian Yelich coming up here is what did we talk about pretty much going into the season is that they were going to have a four-headed outfield. Yeah. The mm-hmm. fact that they had Christian Yelich, they had Lorenzo Cain coming back after taking a year off, they had just signed Jackie Bradley Jr., and then you had the uh, combination, or let's not forget about Avisel Garcia, then you had the combination of is Tyrone Taylor going to make the team? Is Billy McKinney going to make the team? How many outfielders are they going to roll with? Well, Billy McKinney was the guy that they rolled with initially. Mm-hmm. He he helped carry the team for about a week or two. His services were no longer needed. Yep. He said, all right, DFA. See you, buddy. Uh, Lorenzo Cain had not been able to stay healthy all year. Jackie Bradley Jr. did not hit for the first two and a half months of the season. And then you go one further and you look at what Tyrone Taylor has done. And... Now, looking at that outfield that's currently out there, Jackie Bradley Jr. did get hot for like that two, three-week span. Yeah. He's cooling back down again. Which we figured would happen. Lorenzo Kane, who has come back and healthy, he's been swinging the bat well since he's come back. Mm-hmm. And then Avisel Garcia has been the one constant in the outfield. Lovey. But Tyrone Taylor has probably been the second most consistent he's player been a beast. in the outfield behind Avisel Garcia out of all of those big four names. He's been a beast. And we've also seen that Tyrone Taylor has helped carry this team a week here, a week there with some big-time clutch situations. And when you just purely look at the Tyrone Taylor versus Christian Yelich numbers, Tyrone Taylor has a better war than Christian Yelich in less at-bats. He has more home runs than Christian Yelich in less at-bats. He has the... Slightly lower on base percentage, but the much better slugging, the better OPS, and just overall has been more productive. The only thing that you can say Christian Yelich has done better is get on base at a little bit more of a higher clip. Get on but base. the production hasn't been there. The average hasn't been there. And if you if you want to continue to talk about how the Brewers have to do all the little things to win because they can't spend all the money, mm-hmm. I've said this, and I think if you watch a lot of Brewer baseball, you can tell that Christian Yelich, since coming over to the Milwaukee Brewers, he's defensively gotten worse every year. Yeah, you've already been he, on that he, for a while. He's clearly... A, a negative out in the field, in my opinion. He's a little below average as a fielder. Tyrone Taylor, when you look at what he's done defensively, has graded out as an average fielder. Either. So not only has he swung the bat better than Christian Yelich in limited time, but he's better. He's in actually defense. played better in the field too. Crazy, eh? I, that's why I think the best start would be just a minor league, uh, just to see how it goes. Just kind of. Let him take a breath. Just to see what it does? Get some lesser lesser competition. Let's see if Keep you can get some confidence back. Keep see if you can find something. And allow the guy that's been playing better to actually play. Because I think your outfield at this point has to consistently be Tyrone Taylor for the time being. Avisel Garcia in the corners. And then Lorenzo Kane as long as he stays healthy. And whoever is swinging the hotter bat for center. Because we know both those guys are there really good defensively. So, Rowdy, there it is. So, you're telling me. Mm-hmm. 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 He gets picked up mm-hmm. uh, by the Brewers and starts delivering for them rather than FedEx. Correct. <laughs> well done, RJ. Tyrone now, Taylor, indeed. Now, he, he delivers. is a little bit more expensive for the Brewers yeah. than he would have been at FedEx. Agreed. 
So now, but he if he ever gets cut, I mean, what does he demand from FedEx? Because he'll be like, did you see the me best, delivering The over best there? route that they have? <laughs> He's like, I, I deliver. I deliver. <laughs> hey, speaking of best, how about the Milwaukee Brewers real quick before I get to this phoner? I just saw this flash up. The Yankees are 10 games over 500 for the first time this season. They are now 13-6 and six since the All-Star break. Second best behind the Milwaukee Brewers. Ooh. And and I just want to put this out. We there put the too. Yankees and the Brewers in the same breath. I love it. Is that <laughs> I'm not talking about benching Christian Yelich for the rest of the year. I'm not talking about keeping him on the shelf for the next two months. I I think you need Christian Yelich. You need Christian Yelich to be borderline All Star to win a World Series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well as have all of these role players he's continue the, to play well. He's the well. freaking face of the team. I just think at this point you let the Tyrone Taylors of the world continue to play because he's hot, especially when you can use the uh, the minor league rehab stint excuse to give him just a breath. Yeah, let Yelly fig- kind of figure it out. I, I still lean start him just to let him just – because you're going to need him. Well, you're going to need him. I would agree with you. But Tyrone Taylor's hot. Like, what do you do then, though? Because you're, then you're screwing over Tyrone Taylor, I'd imagine. Well, even even in a, in a normal universe, because we no longer live in this no, in a normal reality. We live in bizarre world, right? <laughs> we, we crossed over in 2020. Yeah, but done. in a normal universe, I would say yes. Uh, Tyrone Taylor's a guy that carries you for a week or so. He's gotten hot. Okay, bring in the superstar. He's your superstar for a reason. Yeah. You need to play him. The only thing is why I think this is different is because we've seen him now in alternate Bizarro world for 2020 and 2021, <laughs> which have nearly accumulated to a full year of at-bats, yeah. not be able to put it together with continued at-bats and continued playing time. It's almost been a full season that he's got continued playing time and has looked the same, but yet it's spanned technically, yep. too. Bizarro world yeah. is, is wild, dude. Uh, also, real quick, uh, Corey and Marshall, who called and asked about you know Christian Yelich and COVID, how he was doing. Uh, everything I read was just mild symptoms, if that. And he was feeling just fine. But David Stearns did say a couple days ago, quote, I'd, about Christian Yelich, quote, I don't think this has been his favorite year in totality. He's dealt with a lot. This is just another challenge that he's going to have to overcome. Yelich's having a tough go 2020 into 2021. A lot of people are because bizarre world, as Rowdy suggests, we no longer live in uh, whatever, normal, reality. A normal reality. We live in the upside down world. <laughs> Usually, when we have a big UFC event, we get this cat at 9 o'clock, but we love this man so much, we pivot whenever he needs us to pivot. Our guy, Dan, from Best Fight Picks. Dan, what's up, my brother? What is up, guy? Hey, did I ever mention I love you guys? Uh, Dan, did I ever mention we love you, too? <laughs> it's mutual, my man. Uh, man, it's good to be on here talking fights with you all once again. Yeah. Hey, so, Dan, let's uh, recap a little bit. Last time you were on, uh, you were big, big, big saying, I don't know about this Conor McGregor anymore. I think uh, I think he is no longer a titan of the industry. He is, uh, he is He's down. And, Dan, you were right, my brother. As he breaks his foot, taking a step back, how does it, it feel? I mean, obviously you never want to see a guy you know, not finish a fight and end it like that. But how does it feel to get the uh, the pick right, my man? Well, it feels nice to get a pick right because it's been a rough year. But let me say this, man. Let's not talk about the leg break. Let's talk about the absolute mauling <laughs> Dustin Poirier put on him prior to the leg break. Let's also talk about how six months prior he knocked him unconscious in the second round. So I think this demolition that Dustin Poirier put Conor McGregor through, it's one of those things, man, where, you know, Conor used to talk about, oh, always humble and victory and defeat. Like, dude, you ain't been humble at all. In fact, he was humble before their fight in January, like before the fight, he gets knocked unconscious. All of a sudden he's not humble. He gets pounded like to a point of no return. The, the, the third fight. And now he's going out there talking about people's kids, people's wives. So <laughs> I think that Dustin might've knocked a couple screws loose in the young man. <laughs> yeah. It was a very bizarre as he's sitting there, you know, McGregor's sitting there uh, against the cage and Joe Rogan's interviewing him as his foot's broken. And he just, you know, got his ass handed to him and he's just calling out, Poirier, it's like, dude, like you, you just got obliterated. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, it, it's one of those things where Connor wants to act like this is the streets, but if it was truly the streets and there was no ref there, there was no people in the way, and you, you got that leg broken, uh, Dustin's gonna come out there and soccer kick you in the face and finish <laughs> you. So uh, it's, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Yeah. So Dan, let's advance the story then, man. Uh, UFC 265 going back to the Lone Star State for tomorrow night. Uh, how excited are we, man, to see UFC get back at it? Oh, man, very excited. Real quick, let me just ask you all something. Did you guys see my boy Jared Nitran Gooden uh, make uh, get his first UFC win on Saturday night via vicious knockout? 
I mean, I know Rowdy did. Who's, who's going to be here in momentarily? He's trying to get a nice little surprise for you, Dan. So he's in another room right now chopping it up. I unfortunately did not. Can you can you take me through what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So the only reason I'm bringing it up is because my buddy Jared Gooden from right here oh, in yeah, Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, he put uh, Georgia on his back. He goes out there. He knocks this guy out in the first round. Devastating knockout. Launches the guy. And uh, just couldn't be happier for the kids. So keep your eyes out for Jared Good. I did see you tweeting about that at Best Fight Picks, man. That's some good stuff right there. Uh, so, Dan, we have right here, I'm checking it out. Is it uh, Lewis and Gain to the interim heavyweight championship? What are, we, what are we thinking? What are we feeling here, my brother? This is what we think, man. We think that Derek Lewis is um, the knockout king in the UFC. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. He's got the most knockouts in UFC history, most knockouts in heavyweight UFC history. Um, he's officially the knockout king and it, you know, it's, I feel like people kind of write him off when they say things like KO or bust, you know, as if, you know, like, Oh, it's just a KO or bust. So let's pick against them. But when you talk about KO or bust in this situation, you're talking about one of the most lethal finishers that we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport. We're talking about a guy that beat the current champion, Francis Ngannou. We're talking about a guy that devastatingly knocked out the best wrestler in the division, Curtis Blades. We're talking about a guy that finished Alexander Volkov a lot more viciously than uh, the way Gan handled him. But with Gan, we're dealing with kind of a freak athlete, man. I mean, look, he's got the size, he's got the reach, but he he's a heavyweight, but he moves like a middleweight. He's switching stances. He's got a good volume game. So it's one of those things where... Derek Lewis is probably going to look, uh, excuse me, Cyril Gan's going to be winning the fight until he gets his arm raised or until he gets knocked unconscious. <laughs> yeah, I see Gan's the heavy favorite in this. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to come down to, in my opinion, Derek Lewis probably has to get the uh, the big punches. He's got to turn Gan's lights out where Gan can kind of uh, just systematically pick Lewis apart. Yeah, I mean, no questions asked. I mean, in simple terms, that's how you break it down. It's just, I think that the KO chance that Lewis has is kind of being like written off and kind of, you know, people are kind of dismissing it as if it's a non-factor. And the thing with Gon, listen, I think even if Gon loses on Saturday, I think he's a future world champion. I think the guy is that talented. He's truly a special athlete. It's just that the guy's had less than 10 pro fights. You got to pay your dues in this industry. And I would not be surprised at all if he got knocked out. Look, the odds were a little bit closer than, um, you know, Maybe I'd be a little bit more confident and gone, sure. but you know, you see a plus three hundred on Derek Lewis in Houston, no less. I mean, he's undefeated in Texas. That's where he's from. You know, those Texas judges are something else. This fight won't go to the judges, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you see a number like plus three hundred on the knockout king in the UFC against the kid that's had less than ten pro fights, and it's definitely intriguing. So, even though Gan is probably the rightful favorite, he's got the better techniques. I I think it's a dogger pass situation. I, I think they've definitely sold Derek Lewis a little short, especially because he is fighting in his hometown of Houston. And basically a lot of people that are casuals know that Derek Lewis is just the, my balls are hot guy. <laughs> my balls like, are hot. And, and he's a guy my that's going to, going to knock people out. But I think you've seen over the last couple of years, his wrestling has gotten a lot better. And you know what else has gotten better, Dan? His trash talking. Oh, Dan, yeah. and speaking of that, Dan, I hope you can hear this. I'm, Nelson had me do a little surprise for you, so I'm going to play a clip. Let me know. Can uh, let okay. me just see Derek, can you, can you hear uh, this? how would it feel to get beat by a Frenchman in, front of, in front of your fans? No, I can't hear anything. You're going to have to excuse my French for you and fuck him. Derek Lewis says, you're going to have to excuse my French to a French reporter. Uh, what did he say, Rowdy? F you. But F you and F him. <laughs> so, uh, Cyril Gahn uh, getting uh, chirped, obviously, from Derek Lewis in that presser as a French reporter, Dan, was asking him about the fight. And Lewis is like, F you and F him. Incredible, dude. I love it. And he's thinking, listen, if you said it, Dan. The guy, the guy is, the guy is in Texas, from Texas, right? And he's going against some guy that's like probably grew up watching Pepe Le Pew. He's from France. What are we, what are we talking about, Dan? <laughs> Listen, I know on on normal terms, you know, we can laugh at you know where the guy's from and this and that, but like, <laughs> ah, th this is he's one of those exceptions, man. Like this okay. kid gone can definitely fight. And I know people were saying similar things like uh, a week or two ago. This kid Imavov, who's also, I know he's got a Russian name, but he's from France too. Um, <laughs> he he was fighting Ian Heinish. He goes out there, he knocks out Ian Heinish in the second round. So. 
I know in the past because there was this kid that went on the Ultimate Fighter and he went out of his way to tell everybody that he was French and he was like, I want to show that the French are not quitters. And then he quit. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, ever since then, you know, the the French have had like a really bad reputation as far as fighting is concerned. But I think guys like Cyril Ghosn um, are kind of, you know, changing uh, that narrative. And to be completely honest, when I heard that French reporter ask Derek Lewis that question, his voice that instantly popped into my mind was Sasha Barracon from uh, Talladega Nights. <laughs> Talladega Nights. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, That's so Dan man. from Best Fight Picks joining us right now, Dan. Uh, going down the card a little bit, I know we spent a lot of time there on Gone and Lewis. What, what's another one with, through the eyes of a better that you are? What are you looking at? It's like, I can't wait for this fight to make some money on it. You know, man, I'm either going to be really right or really wrong on this one. Um, I got to go the opposite way of all the public. Literally everybody and their dog and their best friend and their mom. And I don't like bringing up people's moms, but literally everyone and their mom is on Michael Chiesa. And look, I think Michael Chiesa is a stud. I think that he's a new man since he moved up to 170 pounds. But I just don't know if I agree with it being a pick against a, an absolute killer like Vicente Luque, man. I mean, Vicente Luque... He's won 10 of his last 11. I mean, he's a guy who goes out there, gets better every single fight, and he's just – he's an absolute finisher, man. I mean, he, it's a rare occasion when this guy sees the scorecards. And I don't think that Michael Chiesa has truly been tested at 170 pounds yet. You know, I mean, I mean is the best win he's had so far, and not to discredit it at all, um, is Neil Magny. And I think Magny, you know, is a solid top 15 fighter. But I think with Vicente Luque, we're looking at a top five fighter. I think there's a big difference. And I think that, <coughs> excuse me, I think that as long as Luque doesn't get, you know, tied up against the fans, doesn't get hugged, you know, the crowd doesn't start booing, I think Luque is going to come out here and finish Michael Chiesa. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a lot of the MMA Twitter going with Chiesa in that matchup too. But I think it's also because I feel like for like a year plus now, everyone's been waiting for Luque's chin to give out on him. Like that's like, I feel like, when people are talking negatively about him, that's the one thing. They're like, well, he's getting old and he loves to get in these brawls. When's his chin going to go on him? Yeah, absolutely. The only thing is that Michael Chiesa is absolutely not the guy to answer that question. Michael Chiesa is terrified of, of striking. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. He strikes with me, he'll knock me out. But I'm saying at the <laughs> UFC level, he's terrified of striking with these guys. So I, I, I would be shocked. I would be shocked if Michael Chiesa knocked out Vicente Luque. Hey, Dan, before we uh, we let you go and we send you off on your way, and thank you for your time, as always, my brother, all the, all the love is just coming from us. I saw you tweeting out about 13 hours ago about the press conference takeaways for UFC uh-huh. 265, and tell the fine folks what fight is going to be. Bye! Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, you got a guy like Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. I mean... Listen, Jose Aldo, I remember coming home from high school watching this guy in the WEC, and now he's still, you know, a a decade later, he's still at the top of his game. I mean, look, he's not a champion anymore. The sport's evolved, but he's still a top 10 guy. He's in a different weight class. He's fighting all the studs. And Pedro Munoz is one of these guys. um, You talk about Vicente Luque's iron jaw. What about Pedro Munoz's iron jaw? I mean, this guy can literally eat everything but the kitchen sink. And (laughs) on one hand, you love that quality in a fighter. You know, the durability is amazing. But on the other hand, he gets hit too much. And and with the judges, it it can be concerning at times. So this is a tough fight because Jose Aldo is going to win the first round, just like Jose Aldo wins the first round and, you know, 99% of the fights that he competes in. But after the first round, you know, you start to fade against the guy like Pedro Munoz, and that's where trouble can come in. And if you have to criticize Jose Aldo, I mean, look, there's no holes in his game. I mean, his hands are amazing. His kicks are on point. His grappling is fantastic. The The only area of criticism for Jose Aldo is that he's such an explosive fighter that naturally he tends to fade. And this is nothing new. This has been going on since his prime. So against a guy like Munoz, who can keep that volume, keep that pace throughout the fight, I think the second and third round is going to be super interesting. My only worry, you know, the reason I'm not, Picking Munoz confidently here is because of those Houston judges. And and in addition to that, Munoz has a history of getting robbed and kind of getting weaseled on the scorecards. Mm. Uh, you remember the fight against John Dodson. I thought Pedro clearly won that fight. You remember the fight against Frankie Edgar. I thought Pedro clearly won that fight. I well, definitely thought dis- he won that fight. <laughs> the judges disagreed on both. And it ain't about what me or Nelson or Ebo thinks. It's about what the three judges think. It's, and, it's all about what yeah. we think, Dan. Come on, brother. It's all about what we think. Come on. <laughs> I wish it was because then we'd, uh, you know, a lot of these, like the other week, man, 
you know, I, I, I felt like I had a three and one night, but I had a one and three night because of the judges. Uh, Miranda Maverick against Macy Barber. I'm never one to cry robbery. But man, it was kind of like the Corey Sanhagen TJ Dillashaw fight. I really felt like Corey Sanhagen won that fight. Like a fight can be close, but still be clear. And I thought it was clear for Sanhagen. I thought the Miranda Maverick fight was clear for Miranda Maverick. So, you know, you just got to be careful with these judges. But at least there's a plus money uh, sign uh, next to Munoz's name. Well, sometimes you watch these fights play out and then you see some of the scorecards come back and you're like, okay, if you're scoring an MMA UFC bout, you kind of have to know something about the sport because sometimes you get these scorecards back and it's like they honestly didn't watch or they don't know what they're watching. I don't know if we spoke about this yet, but did you all see the picture I posted on my Twitter of, of what one of the judges looks like? Not to judge a book by its cover, but like there's literally old people that have no <laughs> effing clue what they're watching, <laughs> man. And it's and it's like one of those things where it's oh, like, oh, I'm looking right now. Yeah, wow. Ex- exactly. Like, like you know. No, I mean, I mean listen, we're not we're not ageist here, and we're not you know this no, person no. looks like. This person looks like they like were I don't know the the best librarian in eighteen or in nineteen eighty nine like like this lady Look, looks man. like she's like I don't know about this. Rest in peace to my grandmother. But if she was watching a fight, I wouldn't expect her to know what she's watching. You know, so why <laughs> why why, like, why am I supposed either. to trust these judges? So it's one of those things. Betting going forward, she's got like, like bifocals on, uh, Dan. She's got bifocals on. They're like three inches thick. Yeah, you know, you got her who has no idea what she's watching. You got the next judge who's on his phone the the entire time. Yeah, I see that. And then you got, and then the third judge is, you know, probably judging it based on who the who they deem to be more handsome. So, yeah, you guys got to. So you'd definitely caution, win then, man. Dan, if you're in the octagon then. <laughs> you know, it, you know it. Hey, Dan. Unless I'm unless I'm fighting you. <laughs> we 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 won't include Nelson in there. We're we're team handsome here, Dan. Hey, Dan. We appreciate your time, man. It's always a pleasure. We love having you on. I mean, obviously, you know that. Uh, we always sing in your praises here. So, Dan, best fight picks. Love it, man. Half the battle uh, podcast. Correct. We can. How can we consume everything that you got? Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. As always, um, my podcast, Half the Battle. Check it out, and then. I'm on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, and you know I got to congratulate you guys because you know the Brewers did win that series against the Braves. Uh, for <laughs> y'all listening, I, I am here in Atlanta, Georgia, and you know, but man, I got to come out to uh, Wisconsin sometime. Check out a, a Brewers versus Braves game. Have to, I'd love to. We'll buy you all your drinks, okay, buddy? Uh, you guys are awesome. I right, see you, Dan. <laughs> Enjoy the fights tomorrow, bud. You as well. Thank there he guys. is, my man Dan from Best Fight Picks, my my guy. <laughs> It was hard, obviously. I think for all the rookies, we didn't really know what to expect. Just coming into an NFL season in general, you wouldn't know what to expect. And then having COVID on top of it and a lot of things changed, they were different than what they're usually like. So we didn't even get to really see what it's like to be a, just a normal year in the NFL. It's a, it's a grind. It, you know, you, you realize about halfway through the season that it's a lot longer than a college season. Just understand that this is our job. We got to come in every week. It's a new week. You know, you got to have a fresh mindset and uh, kind of hit that reset button to get ready for it. But yeah. Comments there from Packers backup quarterback Jordan Love, the guy who was caught in the middle of the crossfire between Aaron Rodgers and Brian Gutekunst. We now go live to Packers training camp. Our guy, Mike Clemens. Mike, good morning, my friend. How are we doing today? Pretty good, Ebo. Yeah, we got a chance to talk to Jordan Love for the first time in person because the one or two times they put him on a Zoom call last year, you know, they, they draft Jordan Love, and then there's all that controversy. Why did you dra- go draft up to, you know, get a quarterback uh, or trade up to get a quarterback when you got Aaron Rodgers, and is Rodgers happy and all that? So they kind of hid Jordan Love last year to protect the rookie, and then he was inactive the whole season, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's in the one or two times that I've, he's done interviews in the last year. Um, he's calm. He's cool. You ask some of the other players, that's the way they described him. Um, very much self-controlled. Uh, he's, he's improving, you know, every day out there on the field, but it's tough, man, um, to try and break in as an NFL quarterback because like last year he was inactive all the games Tim Boyle, uh, you know, barely gets the reps when he was the backup quarterback. It's just your best chance to get these reps in, particularly with a guy like Devontae or Marquez uh, or Alan Lazard, is during training camp. You know, Devontae was at a lot of the OTAs and minicamps, but when they got to the 11-on-11s, for some reason he was standing off to the sidelines, which was like, is he hurt? Or (laughs) 
Does he not want to get? If Rodgers isn't coming back, I don't know if I'm coming back. Or you know, it was just it was weird. Like, why aren't you out there helping this kid, Jordan Love, who's getting all the snaps right now in the OTAs and mini camps? So I talked to him about that uh, yesterday afternoon to Jordan Love. Um, I talked covered that you know his background story. Do you know who his roommate is up here? He, he you know who's living with him is Chris Barnes, the inside linebacker. Uh, yeah, I mean obviously last year in our quarterback room. Um, I had Aaron and Tim, you know, I just, most questions I had, I just asked them. And then obviously all of us rookies were kind of in the same boat, like I said. So we kind of just stuck together and if we had any questions, we'd ask each other about, you know, what we saw going on, if we need to help with anything. Is Chris Barnes uh, a close friend or just some guy you went to high school with? <laughs> no, me and Chris have a very, uh, very close relationship. So me and Chris, me and Chris, I've known Chris since elementary school, playing against each other in Pop Warner. Obviously, we, we ended up going to the same middle school together, so we've been boys for a while. So that's that's my boy right there. Last year, watching Tim, his role as a backup, got to be ready at any moment to mm-hmm. step in there. I'm sure one of the things you watched was how many reps does Tim get with Devontae? Now, those reps that you get with those guys can be precious for you. Maybe this is your best chance during the summer. Oh, exactly. Because, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, seeing last year, you know, as a backup, you don't, during the season, you don't take, you know, reps on offense, so team reps. It's mostly just scout team reps, so you're not getting reps with those guys um, besides routes on air, things like that. So, you know, being able to be out there, take those one reps with the one receivers, one online, it's, it's huge, you know, builds that chemistry with those guys that you wouldn't be getting, so it's huge. Mike, what was it like to see Jordan Love up there? I mean, he, was he cool, calm, collected? I think you suggested that a little bit. And could you tell when they keep asking about Aaron Rodgers, is he getting annoyed? He's not annoyed. He knows that's going to be happening for a long time. Aaron said, hey, join the club. I went through it for three years. Right. Um, what's amazing about him is that he don't care. It's yep. like if you say, Jordan, um, let me ask you a hypothetical here. If, uh, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever, and he will go, um, and he'll take the, as much time as he wants. He talks on his pace, on his terms. He doesn't care about that air. He, and it's not like he's slow. He's just very thoughtful, cool. He, you, you can't rattle him. So far, it doesn't look like I haven't seen him rattled. And I think that's got to be something that Goodkinst and the scouts were impressed about, just hanging around in, in, in his persona. But, you know, so you know they're going to throw him out there in a preseason game, and he's going to suck, and he's going to throw an interception, and everyone's going to say, "Oh, good kids was out of his mind." You know, this is a horrible quarterback. He's got no chance. You know, Aaron Rodgers got booed on family night. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I do. Because Favre is upstairs begging McCarthy to get back in, and there's all that drama going on in the summer of 2008. And, you know, Roger said the other day, yeah, that kind of messed him up. as So, you know, Jordan Love, had, how will he respond? So far, everything you see is this dude ain't going to rattle. He's going to keep punching and keep punching. To, but what you know what's so tough is, you know, and like I say, you know, if you're trying to get this next quarterback ready or, you know, ready in case Rodgers goes down for a half in a, in a game against the Saints in September, how do you get these guys ready? And what's amazing is you get a couple of those reps in the in the spring, you get some during training camp, but you're not going to put the ones out there during preseason games, right? Hmm. So you ain't going to be throwing a Devontae during these preseason games, maybe a couple of balls. And, and then you get into the season. And when you are preparing for the season, you have the limited amount of snaps in practice because you got veteran ball players that just say, okay, let's just do what we have to do because I'm all banged up from last week's game. And you can't have them out there for endless snaps. So these backup quarterbacks hardly get to touch the football once the regular season starts in terms of running the team and the timing and all those kinds of things because you're so much focused on getting the number one quarterback and the team and the, and the playbook, the game plan, installed for that week. You know, the NFL could still use some sort of a minor league system. Right. No question. I mean, I mean... Jordan Love has not touched a football in the game for a year and a half since the Senior Bowl. So, and then you talk to Matt Lafleur about, you know, how much more Jordan Love's got to learn as an NFL quarterback. There's so many things that go into that position when you're talking about just the communication in the huddle, uh, the reminders that you might want to give a guy, 
the snap count, the command at the line of scrimmage, understanding what's going on. And then, by the way, you better understand the timing and your progression and the footwork, whether it's both in the run game and in the pass game. So there's, there's so much that a young quarterback has to learn. And I think every opportunity he gets, whether it's, you know, in the meeting room or every rep, there's there's something to take from it. And then, you know, you've got a Hall of Famer in front of you that does all those little things that nobody notices so well. Um, and he's he's been awesome just giving him insight on uh, just the little things that, you know, help, help make the whole operation smoother. It helps all other 10 guys go out there and execute their job to the to the best of their ability. You know, Mike, Mike Clemens joining us right now. Mike, Matt LaFleur is, has a master class. Obviously, the question was what Jordan Love needs to master as an NFL quarterback. Matt LaFleur has already mastered answering questions on a podium to reporters. He says so much without saying too much. You know what I'm saying? He does. He knows that he's got to tell the story. He's got to sort of sell the story and, and keep the interest. Uh, and there's a fine line with him. I, you know, I, I think he could learn to grow a little bit more. I wish, you know, what I, you know what you can do when you're in that position? You talk about things that happened in the past. You talk about things that happened with you, with maybe Matt Ryan, when you were with the Atlanta Falcons and those kinds of things. And I, you know, the, he, I think you have to spend less time worrying about, oh, you know, uh, Matt LaFleur was talking about the Atlanta Falcons. Like, <laughs> you, know, you just stop that. Don't quit worrying about the headlines and just, you know, be yourself and, and tell the stories. But, yeah, you know, you're sitting there just saying, gosh, you know, if you're a pitcher in baseball, if you told a pitcher, okay, you're not going to get to pitch in a game for a year and a half, and then tomorrow night we need you to come in and relieve, okay? <laughs> I just ju- ask John Axford how that worked out. For oh, him, no, right? Mike, why do you got to do that to us, my man? Axford, oh, no. <laughs> the know, elbow's done. That's just, that's, just what's, that's just what's so tough. <laughs> about these guys trying to get their opportunities well, Mike, as an NFL quarterback. Let me quarterback. ask you this then, man, real quick. So, I mean, you obviously Matt LaFleur is never going to like give you a, a complete you know, inside look a, into his mind, but you're there, Mike. You're at Packers training camp. You're watching Jordan Love. What's the eye test saying to you? Uh, I, he's athletic. Uh, I think he's getting better and better with his footwork because, you know, they're in his head about first you've got to put your feet in the right place, then you got to think about you know making your decisions and where. Then you then you have to start you know being better with each snap and each practice on figuring out before the ball is snapped where you're going to go with the football and trying to figure out okay the, it looks like the safety is going to come up here, but is he really? Can he really afford to do that? Because if he does, that you know that fade route to the right hand side is going to be wide open. Or is this guy just disguising? Is he just playing with me? The moment I snap this ball. So you have to figure out those two or three different things so that you don't get burned and picked off. And, you know, it only have to, you have to do it through repetitions. And then, and then you have to do it in games. And then, you know, I mean, the Bears gave Trubisky two and a half years before they just figured out he's not that bright of a quarterback. You know, he's athletic <laughs> and he can throw the football around, but he just can't. And Or... Or if you get behind or there's pressure or the whole world's talking about you or ripping on you, it, it breaks your confidence. And, and those are the only things you can find out once you throw a guy in there mm-hmm. and give him a chance to play. Yeah, definitely. So, Mike, I mean, obviously a guy who was out there playing, I saw him hitting a, a net from like 40 yards out that he flecked his bicep uh, at the crowd, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, how's Rodgers looking with uh, you know, all, the, all the receivers in camp and uh, you know, returning to Green Bay? Yeah, they did the bucket drill yesterday, and Rodgers nailed one from about 55 yards out. And there's video of it. It's outstanding. Um, and they, it's funny, they had not done the bucket drill uh, for the quarterbacks. I don't think they did it at all last season, which to me made me wonder, eh, you know, maybe they don't want to do that to Rodgers. You know, they don't want to show off if he's still got the Hail Mary, but he showed it yesterday. He nailed it. But you know, the other thing is, is there's all kind. there's a dozen wide receivers, there's this Jawan Winfrey who keeps coming up. You know, you want to look for him at the Family Night broadcast tomorrow night, or if you're coming up here to Lambeau Field, number 88. He's he's big. He's he's almost like um, MVS, only a little bit more built. And no one seems to be as fast still as Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, but there, you know, these decisions are tough. So you ask the veteran Aaron Rodgers. So when you one of these when one of these 12 receivers lines up. 
what are you looking for on this guy? First and foremost, the alignment, you know, and, and the assignment. Uh, Skill-wise, you know, there, there's not a huge difference, I don't think, uh, talent-wise, uh, between, you know, 2 and 10 at this point. But each player who can separate themselves is going to prove that they can do one thing great. And that's what we've talked about over the years. You know, the guys that stick, uh, there has to be something that they do exceptional. You're talking about Marquez Valdez-Scanling. His speed is exceptional. But his growth in his assignments and his alignments and his understanding of the game has been phenomenal. You know, to where he's a guy you just don't worry about anymore. And he, he has a maturity on the field, which is really fun to see. I will say, to me, it coincides with the maturity off the field. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, horsing around or being, uh, you know, messing around. I'm talking about just an understanding of who they are. You know, and I think there's uh, with himself and Alan Lazard and Randall and obviously Devante, you're talking about four guys who are very uh, secure with who they are. Seems like Rogers really liking these receivers, Mike. Yeah, and 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 he's right about MVS because when we talked to MVS, it was noticeable that he's just gone up another notch yeah. in terms of his maturity and his swagger as he enters his fourth year. So you know they're having they're getting their stuff done, they're installing the playbook, they're getting ready for family night. They're you know Lafleur's gen- genuinely excited about that after it having been canceled last year, no preseason, and. And, you know, they're putting on a show. And, and, and when you do that, when you combine with execution and some swagger and some having fun, like having a standing ovation when your quarterback nails a bucket from 55 yards, like uh, David Bakhtiari buying your quarterback a golf cart <laughs> and calling it an Aston Martin, they're having fun with that. Jair Alexander, you know, gets an interception and then does a Lambo leap into the stands at the practice field. <laughs> with the players. And then Jair's standing up there and telling us, yeah, that's rookie, man, this Eric Stokes. He's, he's uh, really short on his game with candy. We told him to bring snacks to the meetings. He brought one bag. And I told him to go back out through your truck and, and go, you go get some more. So Eric Stokes talks about these runs he's had to make to supply bags and bags of snacks for the defensive secondary room. I literally went to Target, and I brought a lot of snacks. I know for a fact they'll be gone by Friday, so it's so over with. What's on the menu? Like, what did you get at Target? Man, I got, like, candy, so, like, there's Snickers, Twix, Reese's Cups, Reese's. and then I have bought some, like, two different big packs of Skittles, like the little individual Skittles, and then I have brought four or five bags, so, like, Variety bags of chips. I had bought like two chips of hoys. I had bought some dum dums. God, it was a lot. I bought some pistachios for Smash because Smash love pistachio. That's weird. But Smash love uh, pistachios. And then the room is filled with pretty much junk food. Did you just do the self checkout? Oh, I, I, I was not doing a self checkout. <laughs> I went straight to the. Uh, I went straight to like the regular checkout day after he was looking at it and he was like, so what is this for? Are you having a big party? I was like, nah, man, I'm on Ricky duty. And all this stuff. <laughs> so he was like, oh, man, this is a lot of junk food for just one person. I was like, trust me, man. So do you have any money left after buying a house and all those <laughs> Sadly, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. <laughs> like, they, like they keep saying, like, oh, man, where did your signing bonus? What did I say? Man, I love my money. I love to keep my money. I'm not trying to keep spending this amount on snacks every week. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep all I can. All right, Mike, that's funny, but two two questions. First question is, could you, well, it's not really a question. Could you tell uh, Eric Stokes for me that it's not Reese's, it's Reese's? And the second, yes. the second, because that for some reason that bugs me. That's my favorite candy. And my second question is, my favorite candy, Reese's peanut butter cups. What is Mike Clemens' favorite candy? If he was to get some from Eric Stokes, oh, the M and M's would be just fine to bring to the meeting. Yeah, that'd be just fine. <laughs> Starburst would be okay, you know, to, to balance that off. Sure, sure that would be. Sure. And the old fashioned good and plenty. Oh, the I good and plenty. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, a little, little licorice to mix it all in. So yeah, the, the dentist. Just loves that. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, great stuff as always, my friend. We love your segments here. It's so good. Just to, It's like a breath of fresh air when it comes to reporting on the Packers and training camp. But if we want to follow along, I mean, you're going to be up there all weekend. Right? you got family night tomorrow. Family night tomorrow. And, you know, after Rodgers takes some snaps, we're going to watch Jordan Love out there. I think there's going to be some live tackling in a couple of the periods. So you're going to actually see a kind of a scrimmage. You're going to look at for this Devondre Campbell 
number 59, the guy that they picked up from the Falcons, and uh, he uh, spent some time last year uh, uh, with the Cardinals. He's lining up at inside linebacker, and he may have a pick yesterday. Ooh. So you're going to look for that. You want to see number 21, Eric Stokes, when he's not buying candy if he's covering receivers. <laughs> and uh, so there's plenty to learn and evaluate under the lights at Lambeau tomorrow night. I love it, Mike. And uh, I love what you do for us. It's uh, always high-level stuff. We'll keep following along on Twitter as well. Uh, that you can find Mike at Mike Clemens NFL. Also, he'll be on the Bill Michael Show, all kinds of good stuff. Mike, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Town, and hopefully get yourself some M&Ms, all right? <laughs> and you get some Reese's. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Thanks, Evo. There he is. Mike Clemens, good stuff right there. 